You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 6. The apostles gathered together with Jesus and reported all they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. People were coming and going in great numbers, and they had no opportunity even to eat. So they went off in the boat by themselves to a deserted place. People saw them leaving, and many came to know about it. They hastened there on foot from all the towns and arrived at the place before them. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Benedict, pray for us. St. Scholastica, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and what a joy to turn our attention to St. Benedict and his monastic rule, especially his advice concerning obedience to the will of God the Father and radical stability in the midst of life's rapid changes. A relevant phrase that began to circulate in the writings of the Church Fathers in the early centuries of Christianity, in reference to the Church herself, known figuratively as the boat of St. Peter, was this in Latin, Tunditur non submergitur, which means in English, tossed about but not submerged. This is the way many Church Fathers understood the Church as the boat or the bark of St. Peter. It was a vessel in this world, tossed about, persecuted, but not submerged. Likewise, St. Benedict teaches us the art of balance in life, a life centered on Christ and his gospel, a balance composed of the alternating rhythms of prayer, work, and rest. So let us consider St. Benedict and what his monastic rule can offer followers of Christ today, no matter what our state in life. So first, who was St. Benedict? He was born in the year 480 in a kingdom of Italy called Nursia. The only substantial written source of information on the life of St. Benedict from antiquity is Pope St. Gregory's Dialogues from which we learn that St. Benedict had a sister, St. Scholastica, who also lived the monastic life. And even one strand in the, the tradition 
regards St. Scholastic as a twin sister of St. Benedict. But as a young adult, St. Benedict went to study in Rome, but became disenchanted with life there. Then after he left, trying to figure out what was next for him, he encountered a monk named Romanus of Subiaco. Upon this encounter, Romanus gave Benedict the monk's habit, and then Benedict lived as a hermit in a cave for the next three years of his life. St. Benedict eventually would found 12 monasteries in the Subiaco region, and then his last one, the famous Monte Cassino Monastery, and Benedict composed a rule of life for his fellow monks in the year 516. As he starts to write this rule, St. Benedict calls it a little rule for beginners. The very opening lines of the rule really symbolize the whole rule. We read from the start in the prologue, Listen carefully, my son, to the master's instructions. So stop right there. The first word is very important. Listen. And for those of us who study the Judeo-Christian tradition and the roots, the Jewish roots of Christianity, right away we think of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. In Hebrew, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. But that Hebrew word, Shema, hear, O Israel. This is something Jesus says frequently in the gospel. For those of you who have ears, let them hear. Let them hear the word of truth. So St. Benedict, beginning his rule, listen carefully, my son, to the master's instructions and attend to them with the ear of your heart. So already he's indicating the foundation of this monastic way of life, namely obedience. And that word in English, obedience, comes from the Latin ob audire, audire, to hear, to listen. To listen to who? Above all, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And St. Benedict writes as a monastic father. He says, this advice is from a father who loves you. Welcome it and faithfully put it into practice. The labor of obedience will bring you back to him from whom you had drifted through the sloth of disobedience. This message of mine is for you then if you are ready to give up your own will once and for all. And armed with the strong and noble weapons of obedience to do battle for the true King, Christ the Lord. Whew, such powerful lines. This very first paragraph of the prologue, the rule of St. Benedict, all about listen, Shema, obedience to Christ and his gospel, obedience to the will of God the Father, obedience to the promptings of the power of God the Holy Spirit. So this is where it begins. And again, it's centered around obedience, one of the three classic evangelical councils along with poverty and chastity. 
St. Benedict would die in the year 547 at the Abbey of Monte Cassino at the age of 67, shortly after his sister Scholastica's death. And there's some beautiful tradition about he and his sister Scholastica, how they would meet at least once a year to discuss spiritual matters for hours on end. And it's just so amazing to think of these holy siblings encouraging each other in their monastic discipleship. St. Benedict goes on in his rule to talk about three, four different kinds of monks. And he's very specific about the kind of monks that the Benedictines are meant to be. So this is chapter one of the rule. He talks about four different kinds of monks. The first kind, Cenobites, from the Greek words koinonia, community, or communal, and bios, life. So monks who would live monastic life in community. And these are the ones that St. Benedict says the, the Benedictines should be modeled after. Those who belong to a monastery where they serve under a rule, a rule of life, and an abbot, a religious superior, so that all the monks can live out this obedience very concretely. So the second type of monks are what he calls the anchorites or hermits. Anchorites, from the Greek anchorain, which means to withdraw or retire to a specific secluded place. And hermits, from the Greek eremia, meaning desert or eremos, desolate or solitary. So these second kind of monks are ones who had come to be tested through life in a monastery for a long time and have passed beyond the first fervor of monastic life. Thanks to the help and guidance of many, he says, they are now trained to fight against the devil. They have built up their strength and go from the battle line in the ranks of their brothers to the single combat of the desert. Self-reliant now, without the support of another, they are ready with God's help to grapple single-handed with the vices of body and mind. So these are like the um, spiritual athletes, uh, kind of all-stars, you could say, the ones who go out into the desert in a very solitary way to do combat with the demons. The Benedictines have their share of this too uh, within communal monasticism, but the anchorites or hermits are, are the most radical kind of monastic life going back to the early desert fathers and mothers like Pacomius, for example. So the Benedictines are not these exactly, but he's at least mentioning them in a very positive light. Then St. Benedict mentions two other kinds of monks uh, and has some negative things to say about them. The third kind are called Sarabites. This is a term from Coptic origin, which refers to vagrants and degenerate monks who dwelled in their homes in or near cities. So they were kind of phony monks, fake monks. And he says the most detestable kind of monks 
who with no experience to guide them, no rule to try them as gold is tried in a furnace, have a character as soft as lead. Still loyal to the world by their actions, they clearly lie to God by their tonsure. A tonsure is a uh, hair clipping on the crown of the head to signify someone has entered a religious state of life. So even if they have a tonsure, they're hypocrites, he's saying. He says, two or three gather together, even alone, without a shepherd. They pen themselves up in their own sheepfolds, not the Lord's. Their law is what they like to do, whatever strikes their fancy. Anything they believe in and choose, they call holy. Anything they dislike, they consider forbidden. So this is really interesting. We might call into question our own discipleship. And when we seek the will of God, am I seeking actually the will of God or trying to adapt the will of God to my own will, my own fancies, my own ideal way of life? Is this something different? So the Sarabites are not commended by Benedict whatsoever. He said they're detestable, hypocritical kinds of monks. And he's, he's beginning his rule with this image to say, let's not be like the Sarabites. And the fourth kind of monks, he says, and also let's not be like the gyrovags, who spend their entire lives drifting from region to region, staying as guests for three or four days in different monasteries. Always on the move, they never settle down and are slaves to their own wills and gross appetites. In every way, they are worse than Sarabites. So gyrovag from the Greek gyros, circle, and vagus, uh, Latin, their wanderer. So someone who wanders like in a circle. Uh, very itinerant, going here some days, there some days. He said, this is not the monastic way of life. Not like the Sarabites, not like the gyrovags. But instead, the Benedictines are to be cenobites. Monastic life in community. And finally, Benedict says, It is better to keep silent and to speak of all these, the Sarabites and the Gyrovags and their disgraceful way of life. Let us pass them by then, and with the help of the Lord proceed to draw up a plan for the strong kind of monks, the Cenobites, those monks who live their monastic life in community. So these are the Benedictines. They have a motto in Latin, ora et labora, prayer and work, prayer and labor. An even balance of prayer, work, and rest characterizes the Benedictines. They take very seriously the liturgy of the hours, which is a form of prayer that punctuates day and night with prayer, especially communal prayer. And he quotes in his rule, Psalm 118, when he's talking about prayer. Psalm 118, that says, Seven times a day have I praised you. And further, At midnight I arose to give you praise. So, in his rule, St. Benedict outlines seven hours of prayer. This is in chapter 16 of his rule. Seven hours of prayer. Lauds, prime, terse, sext, Known Vespers and Compline. These seven hours of prayer that would be prayed in community and interspersed with this would be work and rest. 
So the day of a Benedictine would begin with the liturgy of the hour called Prime around, let's say, 7 a.m. And then work would be done for about four hours until around 11 a.m. Then he recommends about an hour of silent, silent um, reading. And then there would be the communal prayer at sext or noon, followed by a lunch meal, followed by resting on one's bed in complete silence and or reading quietly, followed by around 3 p.m., none, liturgy of the hour, then more work until vespers, the evening, liturgy of the hour, prayer and community, followed by a supper meal, and then more rest and reading, and then the great silence in the evening there until prime again the next day. And in some religious communities, there would be a, a middle-of-the-night kind of vigil, sometimes the eighth hour of the night, around 2 a.m., uh, and sometimes what's called matins, a, a liturgy of the hour called matins, sometime between 3 a.m. and dawn. Altogether, we see these different hours of prayer interspersed, interwoven with work and rest and meals, a fulfillment of Psalm 113 as well. From sunrise to sunset, may the name of the Lord be praised. And the Benedictines, throughout the course of a week, St. Benedict says they should pray all 150 psalms, which is so amazing. The full complement of 150 psalms is by all means carefully maintained every week, he says in chapter 18 of the rule. The monks live according to the rule of obedience. Benedictines specifically take three vows to enter this religious life. A vow of stability, which means that they pledge lifelong commitment to a particular religious community, intending to live there the rest of their life and die there unless they were, for some reason, transferred or the monastery closed or something, but a vow of stability. And this is very instructive for us in the very fast-paced culture in which we live today, thinking about what in my life is stable? Where is my stability? What habits do I exercise that generate stability in my life, the life of my family? Stability is very important. Again, thinking of the boat of St. Peter, tossed but not submerged. There must be stability for the follower of Christ. Second, they take a vow of fidelity to the monastic way of life, which implies both poverty and chastity. And third, they take a vow of obedience. I want to just read a little excerpt from chapter 5 of the rule of St. Benedict about obedience. He says this, the first step of humility, which is a great virtue, we all should strive after vehemently as followers of Christ to be humble. But he says the first step of humility is unhesitating obedience, which comes naturally to those who cherish Christ above all. Because they dread hell, they long for the glory of everlasting life, 
and so they carry out the superior's order as promptly as if the command came from God himself. So this vow of obedience, giving up one's personal, individual, autonomous freedom in order to live this perfection of obedience in the religious community. He says, such people as these immediately put aside their own concerns, abandon their own will, and lay down whatever they have in hand, leaving it unfinished. I think it's very liberating if we think about this. To live according to this vow of obedience in religious life, there comes with that a great assurance, a great trust that one is carrying out the will of God by submitting to this character, this seal of obedience, this vow of obedience. Finally, he says about obedience that with the ready step of obedience, they follow the voice of authority in their actions. And so they can have great confidence in their actions because they're acting out of obedience. It is love that impels them to pursue everlasting life. Therefore, they are eager to take the narrow road of which the Lord says, narrow is the road that leads to life. And obedience grants this narrow road. Those of us who don't have the gift of living in religious life because we were not called to it, or maybe you're not called to it yet, maybe you will be later, but uh, if we're living in a state of life other than this, what could we learn from this obedience? That's a great question. I think it's this constant way of prayer, attentive to the will of God the Father, constantly praying that the will of God the Father be done in my life, no matter what, and I'm ready for this to happen. And there's a sense in which I lack a real indication of what exactly this is. With some things that involve a permanent state of life, like marriage or religious vows, this I know for sure is the will of God for me for the rest of my life, until I die. But other things, where should I live? What job should I work at? How should I be involved in ministry? Different things like this are subject to change, modification, revision, depending on where the Lord calls you. Then after obedience, I just want to think together about this manual labor within the Benedictine way of life. Again, this balance of these various rhythms of prayer, rest, and manual labor. It's very important that we learn to love working with our hands working with our minds and enjoying these small tasks that we can do to glorify God throughout the day. Very simple things, things that have to do with hygiene, organization, order, things that have to do with serving other people, even in very small ways, picking up a piece of trash, opening the door for someone, making a meal, cleaning up after the meal, sweeping the floor, vacuuming the carpet, making the bed, all these different things. St. Benedict says in chapter 48 of his rule, idleness is the enemy of the soul. 
Therefore, the brothers have specified periods for manual labor as well as for prayerful reading. So specified periods can be very helpful in life. From these hours to these hours, I'm going to do this. From those hours to those hours, I'm going to do that. Because idleness is the enemy of the soul. When we are idle is when we get into trouble. So manual labor is part of this overcoming idleness. In addition to the set times of prayer, there's also set times of work for the Benedictines. And he says in chapter 48 that the monks must not become distressed if local conditions or their poverty should force them to do the harvesting themselves. When they live by the labor of their hands, as your fathers and the apostles did, then they are really monks. Yet all things are to be done with moderation on account of the faint-hearted. Okay, so this balance in life. As St. Paul says, those who refuse to work should not eat. Uh, we read in the book of Genesis chapter 3 by, that by the sweat of his brow, man would harvest the fruit of the earth. You know, through agriculture, through hunting, through fishing, uh, through harvesting. And the monks, there's no exception for the monks for this manual labor. It's part of their daily life, and there's a goodness about it. There's a natural rhythm to creation, growth, development, seasons, sunrise, sunset, different weather patterns, different times of year. And all of this helps to orient the person to the rhythm of God. Very beautiful. Finally, St. Benedict says the life of a monk ought to be a continuous Lent. Wow. A continuous Lent, a continuous penitential way of life. Other places in the rule, he talks about the importance of silence and not giving oneself over to a kind of effervescence laughter, intoxicating emotion, but to remain for the most part silent, count your words, learn to love silence, learn to love Lexio Divina, meditation on the Word of God in a very continuous way. And so one's life takes on this cardinal character of stability, of balance, of steadfastness, of forbearance. Thank you, St. Benedict, for sharing this wisdom that you gained from living the monastic life faithfully to the end. So may we continue to seek this monastic wisdom of St. Benedict to contribute in some meaningful way to our particular state of life. And may we abandon our frenetic souls to the stability of the Savior who teaches us how to be at rest in the stern of the boat that is his church. Tunditur non submergitur, tossed about but not submerged. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness. <laughs>